Hello and welcome to Start the Beat with Sykes. My name is Sykes and this is my podcast. Before we get started, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank everyone who checked out the last episode. If you're one of those people, I hope you enjoyed the conversation and thanks so much for coming back. But for everyone else out there who's new to the show, welcome. Feel free to make yourselves at home. And as always, there's beer and soda in the fridge. Cheers. I don't have any. Oh, yeah, I do have a drink. Cheers. Okay, cool. So here's the scoop. Here's the pooper scooper. I uh, I done goofed. Your boy done did a fuck up. And uh, I didn't record the first however many minutes of today's episode when we were recording. I don't know what happened, but I goofed up. We can all accept that sometimes things don't go the way that we planned. So today on the show, I'm hanging out with my buddies Tom and Zach from the band Howling Giant from the land of Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, yeah, Tom and Zach, I had never actually talked to them before in my ding dong life. I met them through my buddy John of Jake the Hawk. He uh, linked us up. He said you should have them on the show. So uh, this one's for John Huxley. And this one's for everyone out there in the world that's into rock and roll. This is a pretty cool conversation. We talk about songwriting. We talk about independent bands, promotions, marketing, touring. It's just like, you know, all the shit that you would talk to about a band with. That's what we get into. With that being said, this is my conversation with Tom and Zach of Howling Giant. Enjoy. Everyone's kind of thinking about it going like, well, I could count it this way, but also I might have been able to do that better. You know, there's a lot of judgment. Yeah, I think that there's a really interesting thing where, you know, you start out playing in bands and if you get really into the more technical aspect of things, you start thinking about writing songs differently because you're wanting to approach everything from a technical aspect and you kind of forget about having fun in terms of like <laughs> writing songs and it's almost like equivalent to a cartwheel. Like once you learn how to do a cartwheel, it's cool, but you won't want to do cartwheels all the time because you'll get sick. And I think it's really easy, like in a technical way, musically to be doing like metaphorical cartwheels. And then all of a sudden it's like, what are we doing here? This isn't fun. And like, nobody wants to be around me. Cause I'm just fucking cartwheeling all the time. Like, let's just hang out and have fun musically, metaphorically. And like you tend to attract more people in that way. With it, it, was, being, it was easy yeah. to like, as we were writing songs, just overcomplicate things, like you were saying, just for the sake of overcomplicating it, um, at least in the prog band. Now <laughs> in this setting, I feel like, I don't want to speak for Zach, but what we're finding is that um, I think to try to sneak in some of those prog elements, but like, as long as we remember that we started this band because it was just fun and it's like around kind of the riff we're hoping to kind of preserve that element. But I mean, you're right. I mean, we've been a band for a while now and we've had a few releases. So it's like, we're trying to sneak in a few new flavors and preserve that kind of reason we started the band in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that especially with like rock or anything that's attached to like guitar playing and drummers and things like it's you have all of these people that are really interested in improving their craft but you got to get all of those people together in a room to tell like one cohesive story 
Mm-hmm. And like I've battled this a lot playing in metal bands, um, being primarily a vocalist in these bands where it's like, you know, I have these dudes that can fucking shred, but it's like, well, you do understand that there's like a bass player and me and other people in this band and we have to do something together that's going to make sense. And like, I love that you could rip nonstop, but like it needs to scale back. And like, mm-hmm. even if this seems like a dumb part for you to play, it's actually making the song better. It's a really, uh, I've played a lot of different styles of music as like, I'm sure maybe both of you have here and there, but like with metal or rock in particular, I've like dealt with so much like hard headedness from other people in the bands because they're so afraid of something not being like good enough or technical enough or riffy enough. And it's like, I get it, but you can also just chill out every once in a while and let Mm, the rest of the song speak. I think that maybe, you know, it's interesting coming from, you know, I imagine coming from like a prog sense and then like doing this more like doomy, deserty, stonery, whatever you want to call it sort of thing. Cause like a lot of those, there's a lot of similarities between both of those styles of music, but there's also a lot of polar opposites in a lot of ways too. Mm. I think it's just about being able to pull whatever flavor you're looking for in any given moment. And those styles can kind of vary drastically, but yeah, I hear I hear what you're saying as far as like, you know, someone who maybe can shred doesn't mean you should shred all the time. I think that there's there's a lot of power in just playing something in unison, just like a riff between like guitar and bass and drums are stomping. Like a lot of our simple kind of stuff ends up being what hits like the hardest, I mm-hmm. would say. And really it's just kind of about context. Like if we're playing fast or shredding or something. A lot of times it's it's not even that we're trying to make that part cool so much as we're trying to set up for the next section of the song when things become simplified, that it actually feels way better. If that yeah. makes sense. You it's, know. it's tension and release. And if it's all tension, it's not fun. But sometimes <laughs> like the desert rock, just eighth notes, kind of like just cruising on that is like why make it any more complicated than that if you don't need to if that is serving the song especially when you're singing vocals on top a lot of times yeah. a lot of times that kind of thing underneath is really what sets like a foundation to make the vocals sound really nice it's because you have that slab of just constant kind of trucking you know yeah um there are a million things you can do. There's there's no right answer, but I think that as long as like you're having fun in the band and like everybody gets to share that, it, it's just easier to translate that to an audience, you know? Yeah. And and like we've been learning a lot even from just like starting over in Nashville with this band, with our arrangements over the years. For a while, our first bassist, when we were just a three-piece, Roger, he was playing a bass through a bass rig, but he was essentially just another guitarist, just a lot lower with a lot of the parts. And these days we've added, um, so we, we've had Seabass for a couple of years now on bass and our buddy Marshall, who used to run merch and, and just help be a roadie, he has been playing keys for us. So we've been learning about just different tones, how you can arrange it. Okay, when is it time for, for Zach and Sebastian to lay back, keep it super simple so that we can open something up for the guitar to do or the keys to do. And then when can we complicate it? Cause we just can't, you just can't step on everyone's toes because then you can't understand like Maybe. where the song is going or what's going on. 
that's almost the harder thing sometimes is not even on the songwriting side of it, but like in the tones that you create to be able to share a space, like in regards to the EQ and the type of tones that you're doing, like knowing your role, like you said, Zach, knowing when to step up and when to kind of sit back. And that's something that's an ongoing, I think, struggle for any band and any musician is just learning through your tones how to share the space. Absolutely. I think that there's a really interesting thing where um, it's super easy to neglect that stuff until like you get into a studio situation where it's like it's time to record these songs and all of a sudden everything that you thought was in key or in flow with each other you're seeing what everybody's doing individually and you're like you've been playing that the whole time what the hell this sounded so different because like either because like your practice space and like weird reflection like you're not hearing everything properly so it's like really interesting and why I encourage if bands can a lot of the times now, like pre-production is such a huge thing. I think especially if you're doing like this very dynamic, dense type of music that has a lot of flowing parts and you're having keys and bass and different guitar tones and all of these wacky things where it's like the pre-production aspect, at least for me and my bands has helped so much because you can actually, you're able to paint a better picture of like what this end product is going to be. Because, I don't know, I don't have a great rehearsal space. A lot of bands don't have great rehearsal spaces. It's too small. The power's messed up. It's, you know, it's not Mm -hmm. the best. But, uh, you know, in terms of you guys and writing songs over the course of uh, the band's history, just as Howling Giant, have you found that, like, the studio process and taking the songs to the studio has changed the songs a lot? Do you find that you're, like, into a lot of studio trickery and production stuff or are you more of like a just record it as quick as we can more like punk ethos like fuck it it is what it is because there's like two different ways to be a band these days i feel like we've done both like we're still evolving in that way you know i mean Mm -hmm. zach i'm sure you want to talk about this a bit too because we've been talking about that a lot lately amongst ourselves but pre-production is something that we are honestly like just now finally starting to do we we never used to do that and like you said there are a lot of things that turned out i think very different you know when we actually record it than we imagined but that doesn't mean it was bad no like it was still like turned out really cool but a lot of times it was hard to almost know yeah what you were getting until you tracked yeah absolutely i mean we we've gone through a journey between the arrangements the way we record from from every ep like Starting with the Howling Giant EP, that was Tom's bedroom. So, like, live, just the three of us. Uh, My wife records and mixes us. So, we just set up, you know, I think it was just, what, 16-channel interface or whatever it was, the the Sapphire back then, Mm -hmm. into a MacBook Pro, and she sat just on Tom's bed while the rest of us were just spread out through the room. And... We went from that to where we were lucky enough to be picked for the uh, the Converse when they were doing the Rubber Tracks thing. They would bring bands into different studios. So we did Black Hole Space Wizard Part 1, all the instrumental stuff, up in Converse's studio up in Boston. So that was like the first studio experience for the band where we had to go, we're prepping songs, we're going into the studio, we have two or three days or whatever it was, we need to go and figure it out. And, and 
And that was fun, but that was a weird experience too. That was like, as a guitar player, very out of my element using amps that I wasn't used to be doing. And again, we were on a tight timeline. They, They basically said like, we want to fly you out to do this thing. Here's the space. However, this is your allotted time. This is the gear that we have. My buddy broke the headstock of my Les Paul, like right before we got on the plane. <laughs> like it was my, it was my bad. I like to blame him, but it was really yeah. on me. I like leaned the guitar for a second on like the back of his car and I was going to get my amp and he was playing this goof. Like it's time to go guys and start backing up even though my guitar and it's just like you know he didn't run over my guitar per se but (laughs) just knocked it over (laughs) so we're like on our way to the airport and the headstock of my 86 les paul was snapped and i I took i remember taking great care to like ship my symbols up there you know that's not Mm. that's not cheap to do so i was like you know what i these are the symbols i'm picking these we get up there i put them all on the kit and like everybody in the control room is just like nah you should use all of ours and it was a point of contention for a little while where it's like i should use these because this is my sound and eventually we ended up with some hybrid mix of it it still sounded good but it's not it's not what i picked you know yeah that had its own learning experience which led to the next way we recorded which was through just another studio in town with a little bit more time and our own gear exactly we brought kim with us all of our own gear and and that was for Black Hole Space Wizard Part 2. And then moving into the full length of Space Between Worlds, that was finally like our practice room is where we record things in my house. Uh, Tom and I built a room in this unfinished basement. And, uh, and this is where we record now. So, Yeah, I think that it's really, you know, I, I think it's great if you're able to be a band and go into a studio and work with a producer and an engineer that actually gives a fuck about the band and what you're trying to do understands what's going on and you can have a good relationship with each other. But I've been in situations where, I mean, I haven't been picked by converse to go record something in a day, but situations where I'm recording something quick out of my control with people that are like, they don't care. Like they're Mm -hmm. happy to record, but they're like, whatever and then the end product is always kind of like why did we do this i mean maybe you're happy with how it turned out and maybe you didn't have that experience but for me and my experience it's always just been like this just doesn't seem right like i think it's just tough to be on the same page with like what's your end goal what what's the image you're going for and when you get Mm -hmm. other people that have a different idea of what quote unquote sounds good like it that's going to kind of change the way the final product is i i would say this though that there's always going to be like a perfect scenario and situation to record in and you're rarely gonna get that and it's just more important i would say to just do it make it sound as good as you can oh yeah in the moment like i've been listening to some like mono lord stuff lately and i feel like their albums sound so good and i i recently saw they now have their own studio they built they're like a sound engineer they're all on the same page with like the final product you know and that's awesome but like as a band you can't hold out for that situation sometimes you just have to do it and and put it out and then Mm -hmm. just make the next album sound closer to what you imagine you want your music to be like 
Yeah. And those guys have been at it for years. So, you know, they learned from their previous studio experiences, you know, how, how many albums in are they Pro like four or five full lengths or something like that. So mm -hmm. it took them until now to, to get to the point where they're in complete control. And I think being an underground band or just indie or whatever you want to call it these days, you're going to have to deal with some weird situations, whether it's in the studio mm -hmm. on the road and uh, it's just, you it's always just have to do it. it. You just have to yeah. do it. You just have to track, even if it sucks. I feel like just track and put it out. The yeah. tone quest is never ending, and there's always going to be something you want to improve next time. Mm -hmm. I but like, it's always better to just do it. And maybe that's a more punk rock or DIY to do it. But just be like, man, just do it. Yeah, <laughs> I think that there's great learning experiences from putting yourself outside of your comfort zone. But I think there are times when, okay, well, this is our only option and we take it. But I've known bands that have like, you know, driven to Chicago to record with like the Weezer engineer and stuff like that who cannot give a fuck less about their band. And they get this fucking product back that just sounds like somebody took their songs and scrubbed them down with a fucking Brillo pad. And, you know, mm -hmm. like here it is, this nice little sterile product that nobody cared about. And you guys were just stressed out about and spent, you know, four years of your income on. It's like, don't do that. Yeah. Um, a very, it's like finding that, that fine line between like, just because like so-and-so worked on so-and-so album doesn't mean that like working with that producer or that studio, like we went and recorded at Abbey road. It's like, nobody gives a shit. There's yeah. a, <laughs> there's a, a, a studio here in Pittsburgh, which I mean, they all seem like nice people and nothing against them, but they have this old Neve board that like, uh, I don't know, like, a bunch of old classic rock guys recorded through. And that's like the appeal of going to the studio is just because they have this board that's like, you know, like what is this like a fucking hard rock cafe studio? Like what mm -hmm. are we like? There has to be other reasons to go to the studio other than mm -hmm. just the fact that they have this classic board. But uh, I know as far as I know, the people that run the place are very nice and they put out good work. It's sure. just like mm -hmm. you only hear people talking about the board and it's just kind of a weird thing the board didn't record people the engineers and the people did it mm -hmm. i don't i don't know yeah but i mean that's that's i think a lot of studios these days is they're they're leaning on the gear that they have or the the person that has the expertise because at the end of the day they're a business they're trying to bring in clients no matter what they can't ride they're not getting royalties off of whatever major record they did. Uh, and everybody is now able to do things from home so easily. So they're trying to figure out a way to make it all work. And, yeah. and uh, everyone's everyone's just toying with that. And, and for somebody like us, like working with my wife, especially on the mixes, is just that's we're able to put in the time and Tom and I can sit there and really annoy her with, uh, with little nitpicky things. Um, but not everybody can do that. Not everybody has the time to do that. You yeah. know, if you, if, if recording things yourself is an option, I think it's worth exploring that mm -hmm. though, before maybe going to the, the big studio, if you got the money and if there's someone that's helping you kind of make an informed decision on that, it's like, go for it. But I think it's just nice to kind of have control and, and do it yourself and know that maybe you don't have the best gear, but you put the most care into your music and you gave it the most time that you possibly could. Yeah. Uh, and, 
I was going to say, and I don't, I think a lot of bands, a lot of underground bands might think like Tom and I have talked about this many times of just, there's no fast track to any, to any just superstardom in the music business. And some people tend to think that spending money will, will make it happen. Like you mentioned, Oh, Mm. the Weezer guy works on it. Of course he's going to listen to it. Then he's going to take us on tour or do whatever else. It's just like, that doesn't happen. That dude just trying to make some cash on the side recording bands Mm -hmm. when he's not touring or making records with Weezer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's, there's no fast track because of the clout from somebody's name. So that's why I think that the whole DIY ethos is, has really helped us out and probably saved us some money in the long run. Yeah. And I mean, it just keeps your focus a little bit smaller. Like look for the small stepping stones, like grind hard, play a ton of shows, reach out to your buddies and your, your friends, bands, people in your town and like just slowly start to grow and then look for the next stepping stone. What's the next thing we can do to grow as a band, Mm -hmm. whether it's from a production and recording side of things, or just like, you know, just how you tour, what shows you're playing. Um, but yeah, I mean, rarely are you in a situation where you can just spend money on an amazing studio with an amazing engineer and expect anyone to care. You got to grind. Yeah. And, and great example of somebody taking the care is who we met you through was the Jake, the Hawk guys, you know, they, they started, they self-recorded, and they played shows and then they played weekend runs and then they play, they did a couple smaller tours and they put in the time and then they were able to release their next, their record that just came out a few weeks ago, Hinterlands through Ripple Music because somebody took notice and they didn't like, you know, have to spend tens of thousands of dollars to get there. You know, they yeah. all work full-time jobs just like we all do to make it happen. And I think they've done it very well. Yeah. I think the thing with bands like Jake the Hawk and you guys and other people is like at the end of the day, regardless of, you know, how we tour and network and how we record, there's still a focus on actually writing good music and paying attention to the music. And I think sometimes it's easy for some bands to get so sidetracked in all of this other hubbub that they forget to actually write good songs. And I feel like it doesn't matter if it's not recorded that well. If the song's good, people are going to fuck with it. Mm, and yeah. I, I, you know, I, I just see that so much now where, you know, it's not hard to spend more time on a computer networking and booking shows and doing all this other promotional stuff than you do actually writing songs because of like all these hats that we have to wear. So it's like balancing that time. I think it's usually pretty helpful and maybe, uh, you guys have this with Howling Giant is like if everybody in the band kind of assumes like different little roles to help out instead of just like, well, I'm the bass player and all I do is play bass and I'm just the drummer and whatever. Um, you know, how is like the teamwork element of Howling Giant outside of just writing music and being in a band? I mean, there are a lot, like you said, there are a lot of different roles you need to be able to like do as a band. And I'm sure everyone has their own way of doing it. Uh, We kind of delegate some jobs, but more often than not, I feel like, you know, me and Zach get together probably the most because we have the most time. Um, But I mean, Seabass and Marshall are always on call. And um, yeah, I think Zach, you're you're usually the best at getting back and, and doing a lot of the stuff on like, you know, as far as emails go. Stuff like that. But I, I think that 
making the time to meet up and talk about things as a full band, as far as like, what do you need to get done? It's easy to be neurotic as a band when you have so many million different things you need to be like paying attention to, yeah, including the songwriting, the recording, the marketing, PR, or social media these days. Like that, that's the one that always gets us is I never feel like we're doing great. And it's hard to feel like you're doing well with social media because it's hard for me to just be like, to put something up. It's like, does anyone actually care about this thing? Uh, why are we doing it? And we're, we're always back and forth on that sort of thing. All of our roles constantly shift in the band. Um, yeah. The big I mean, thing though, is just touching base. Like I call Zach like every day it's, mm-hmm. it's or vice versa. I'm just like, what's going on today? Did you see this email? Did I see that email? What's happening? What do we need to get done today? That can just make us one step like further towards, you know, whatever your goal is. Um, so, I mean, like you said, obviously there are a lot of different ways to do it. Some bands can really delegate like my job specifically is this, your job specifically is that. I think as long as you're just communicating and like talking like every day, you know, and, and everyone's flexible in some way. If I have extra time during the day, I'm going to do the task that needs to be done because maybe Sebastian has been at work all day and is just completely exhausted. I shouldn't expect him to like come and do the same amount of work if he doesn't have the same amount of time. But we all put in the work together, especially when we get, you know, we're practicing twice a week. We're doing all of our streams as well. So we, we've been on Twitch quite a bit. Um, so, I mean, we all put in a good chunk of time. We're constantly texting and everyone's very flexible with their schedules. So that's just, I think that's the key to, to balance there. Mm-hmm. With, you know, the social media in general and that conversation of, are we doing enough? Are we doing too much? Are people paying attention to this? I find it interesting for me and maybe you guys can relate with this as well. So like a lot of my friends and the people that I would consider to be like fans of the band and things like that, they're not really like social media people. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do you market to a demographic that really isn't using these tools? It's strange. It's like, you know, I'm not a 19 year old SoundCloud rapper with a TikTok account that could probably really utilize this platform to do something big. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, all of my friends are in their 30s and like they just kind of want to see a dumb, like, you know, like Rigs of Dad meme or some shit. Like that's all <laughs> they care that. about. Yeah. That's all they care about. So it's like, you know, sure, I could probably post something like once a week about the band and that's probably more than enough. I don't think I need to do mm-hmm. like, all of this extracurricular stuff, but it's still fun to do it. I find like there's ways to have fun with social media and it doesn't have to feel like such a hellscape or that like you're contributing to some sort of like toxic social experiment. I think there's fun ways to do it with like Twitch, Mm -hmm. which is a a good, we can like segue into that just real quick because you guys have been doing that a lot. That's actually how I found out about you guys was through one of the Twitch streams via Jake the Hawk. Oh yeah. Yeah, Dude, Twitch has been fun, man. And I, I think that the same, what I'm about to say applies to Twitch and I think social media. And that's that like you, you kind of just have to have like fun with it as much as you can. Keep your expectations low. And again, you just kind of got to do it. Like we probably don't have the most professional or the best Twitch show, but we've had a blast doing it. And we've been able to connect with like some fans in a much more immediate and kind of like personal way, especially without being able to play live shows. Yeah. Like we have this discord 
community that's just like so sick right now. We've gotten to know some people just like, I feel like way more than we've gotten to know other fans. Big time. And it's just like really cool and really weird. And it's like, you just get to know these people and it's just like, I don't know. It's wild, man. But you know, keeping your expectations low. I don't think we ever go out and use social media or like Twitch, for example, with the expectation of this is going to help us like blow up. Yeah. So much as you look at it as like, we have time and we can do this thing. And this just might help bring us one step closer to like finding a new fan, two new fans and just let it spread. Yeah. You know? Yeah. For us, it's just the updates, giving people updates so they know what's going on. If we have a record coming up, you know, we struggle with things being too much of an advertisement sometimes. And it's just like, you know, all the social media gurus, they'll tell a band like, Hey, let them into your personal life and all this other stuff. And, and we try to do that and and struggle with that balance, but that's been so much easier through Twitch. I feel like, because we're talking with these people through Twitch and discord, not worrying about an algorithm. We're connecting directly and having conversations with people. And even if it's a smaller group of people, it's like, they want to see what you're doing. We do a dungeons and dragons uh, episode on our Twitch streams. And like, we know that's not, like you're not going to blow up from playing dungeons and dragons on the internet with your, with your boys. You know? <laughs> yeah. But it's like, man, it's fun though. And some of our fans and people we've gotten to know just want to tune in and see what you're up to more well, than yeah. anything. I feel like it's just a way to be like, Hey, for anyone who's like interested in keeping an eye on it, like we're still doing stuff. Like even though we're in this kind of lull pandemic sort of period, it's like, you know, we're, we're still trying to push as best we can. We're still getting together, working on stuff. And this sure. is what we're up to. You sure. Know? Uh, a, a business type may say you're keeping the brand market, uh, the brand visibility alive, That's brand, brand about. recognition. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, I think that there's an interesting thing about the concept. Um, this isn't too dissimilar from my thoughts on how uh, I interact with social media and my expectations because I feel that the people that my, my core audience isn't really like a social media type of crowd. Right. But also the concept of like blowing up, it's like understanding like what I do musically and like what you guys do musically to some extent is a little niche. You know, this isn't like the most popular thing Mm -hmm. in the world. So it's like, there's already kind of like not necessarily a ceiling, but definitely a much smaller pool of eyes that are going to give a fuck about what we're doing in general versus another uh another style of music so you know if i do you know like if we put out a music video and maybe it only gets a few thousand hits versus like a band that maybe gets like tens of thousands of hits i'm like the fact that a few thousand people watch this is bananas to me that's big time and i mean it just forces you to look like dude just what are your motivations as a band yeah we play in this music like you said not to blow up we're not going to reach a million people but why do you do it because i don't know that's the music that we have fun playing and if you get a thousand people to watch your video it's like those thousand people might be just so stoked to see what you're doing and that goes way further in my opinion than just having like a giant net that gets you know yeah well in the in the subgenre field if you want to call it that like the fandom is not quite as fleeting as popular music 
for for pop or anything else that's getting millions of views, somebody might bump a song and listen to it on the radio, and that's fine. They're probably not paying for that music, but I feel like the hardcore fans in especially this underground rock and metal scene, they're going to drive three hours to see you. They're going to get a shirt when it comes out. They're going to They're going to know about the lore of your concept record. <laughs> yeah. Nerd out talking about like some imaginary world that I created with my friends and wrote music about. And it's like, man, this is like really cool in a really kind of stupid, but awesome way. Like yeah. <laughs> this is just a fun imagination space. You know, I don't know, man, it's just cool. It feels way more rewarding. And I think as long as that's your motivation, it's like, dude, that that's going to keep you going. And that's going to make it feel more successful when anything you do gets done. Absolutely. The thing that's always like blown my mind about pop music um, and people that really only engage with pop music, because I like a lot of pop music. I like a catchy tune. I like this is a butt that likes shaking itself. All right. I'll tell you yeah. that. <laughs> but Big time. There's a thing where a lot of people, it's like a song's three weeks old. And they're like, oh, that song's old. Like what? <laughs> like it's so you had said before, Zach, that it's like fleeting. It's very much just like on to the next. It's such a, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of people, it's like disposable content. And like, I would like be really, I think miserable operating in that realm. If that was the world that I existed in, where I always have to be current and keeping up with the trends and releasing a single every other week. And, you know, I'm an album guy. Uh, mm-hmm. and I think obviously you guys are album guys as well. So what are your feelings on, you know, over the past few years, we're seeing a lot more of this like single sort of culture where bands in order to stay relevant have kind of abandoned the album model. And it's more of like a releasing singles on Spotify and just like chasing the playlist dragon. And, uh, how, how do both of you feel about this, uh, this way of engaging with your fans? I feel old. <laughs> we, we, have, we have so many friends, uh, you know, in Nashville, there are everyone we're friends with is into something different or whether they're in the studio scene or we have a couple friends deep in the pop world who are doing well. And whenever they're talking about releasing a single, the question in my mind that I'm never going to ask them, but it always comes up. is like, well, when are you going to do an album? They don't have an album out, but they have 10 singles out. That could be an album, but they're never going to release it as a record. They just drop these singles. And I, for some reason, cannot wrap my head around it. Yeah. And I, and it makes me feel old. We're, we're just a different audience with different expectations. Yeah. Different yeah. Hopes. You know, there's, there's, this is maybe kind of meme but I, I feel like I saw something that someone posted that was just like, referring to your art as content and referring to yourself, not as an artist, but a content creator is one of the most devastating things that has happened in the last decade. And it should be like appalling to us. And I I think that people who chase the single release, people who chase this like Spotify playlist and this idea of blowing up, that is the idea of what you're making is content to be used, absorbed and cast aside. And in that moment, with that goal, like you are a content creator. I'm not saying it's necessarily bad, but like getting back to the idea that what you're creating is is like art and is important and something that like, I want you to care about this now. And if you like it, I want you to still care about it in like 10 years if you dig it. I still love our, one of our songs, Waylord. It's one of the first songs we wrote. It's like old as hell now by anyone's standards, but I'm like, dude, but it's a dope song, man. I have fun playing it. 
our fans dig it. And I, I guess that's kind of what I want to strive towards more so is like, you know, cr- creating something that isn't meant to just be used and cast aside. You know, if you just try to chase that single release you're just going to be chasing your whole career yeah, and I, never satisfied with what you have. Mm-hmm. I think it's just something that exists outside of the genre of music that that we all make. I think that in the pop world, you have Spotify and their editorial playlists, which if you can get on an editorial playlist, it's huge because you get a ton of plays. I don't know how many fans that gets you, but it gets you a lot of plays and a lot mm-hmm. of exposure, right? But the way Spotify's thing is set up, and maybe you guys know this because you're an abandoned you release stuff, but for anybody that doesn't know, if you want to submit for the editorial playlists, you can only submit one song at a time, and it has to be before it's released. You typically need to submit it like up to like three or four weeks before it's even released. Cause once it's released, you can't submit for it. So I think that by nature that has created like this lottery system of releasing music where a band might have a whole album, but they want to get something on an editorial playlist. So instead yeah. they just release one song a month and submit each one to the playlist, hoping that it will. You're just spending your whole career chasing and chasing. Yeah. I feel like without ever being satisfied with what you have, Zach, what was, um, so, so me and Zach are both very into Coheed and Cambria, and I know Zach even even more so. But what wasn't it Claudio who was saying something about your, your like fan base? Like, if you can have, did he say what is it like one thousand? Oh well, that that's an article from years back, but they reference it quite a bit. And a thousand true fans are what you need in order to make your living as an artist. And they're defining a true fan as somebody who buys every record um, of the merch items you release, like purchases one every three, will drive up to 50 miles to see you. It's kind of what we were saying earlier with meeting some of our hardcore people. Someone who's actually stoked and invested Mm -hmm. in you as a band beyond just like, what's the latest like single, you know? Sure. And that's something where even though, you know, we do, like you said, we play in a more niche kind of genre. Um, but I think that I've found that our fans are like just so much more supportive and I would rather have like 50 of those fans (laughs) than 500 or 5,000 people who are just kind of fleetingly into like a tune, you know what I mean? Yeah. And we've been lucky enough to get a couple of our songs on the editorial playlists, ice castle. When we did space between worlds, I submitted and, and that one's on there but I haven't seen any real conversion into a hardcore fan. That song has a ton of plays. That's about and that's, it. That's super cool. Yeah. And then I get my, we get our, you know, quarterly check from Spotify and it's like, cool. A hundred thousand plays. Here's your 20 bucks. Cheers. Sure. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I haven't seen a ton of conversion of, I heard this on Spotify. I know everything you do now versus Bandcamp, which has become the bread and butter for everybody. Bandcamp are so big time. There's direct conversion. You have not playlist curators, but just like the fan collections where people follow other people because of what they like on Bandcamp. And the social aspect of Bandcamp has helped so many people discover awesome bands. Man, there's an excitement that lies within finding a new band when you're in a community like that and telling like your friend about it. And there's not an expectation of finding music. That's like big or a huge single. You can be like the most underground band, but through Bandcamp and the way these, you know, bands are linked, you can be like, dude, you got to check this out. Yeah. This band, 
they're like they're worth you know it's like it's just a different like hungry and there's a trust there's a trust too i I know people that will go after any release that ripple music does without ever hearing it because they trust what ripple music is going to put out there are people that do that for blues funeral riding easy magnetic eye like people are rabid and they trust each other (laughs) because of of the community that's been built that's an interesting thing about these underground niche genres and communities where it's almost it's very cool if you find the band that nobody's heard of but like in the pop world it's not like if you try to show somebody something that they've never like what is this i don't know what this is like what do you it's it's almost like there's a validation that someone needs before they care or invest yeah like need to look around and be like is this cool Uh uh-huh is this like the big pop hit okay it is sweet yeah so about that you know yeah so i do um I have a like a a hip hop project that I do on the side, but a long time ago, like I was just doing like solo rap. But you know, this was ten years ago, and I opened up for Mac Miller here in town, Sick. and uh, it was the worst show that I ever played. Sick, because <laughs> nobody there, like nobody in the crowd, gave a shit about anybody that was playing besides mac miller it was all hip-hop and everybody was reasonably talented and fine sets but like it didn't matter like nobody was there to like listen to good music they just wanted to see mac miller that was like the majority of the, that's all they gave a fuck about and i totally get it you know it's like why like i i understand that's just why people are going to that show whereas in maybe like more metal or rock people can be excited to like oh there's a band opening up that i've never heard of like this is cool i want to i want to check this out yeah. Great example of that, I think, was when we played in town opening up for uh, King Buffalo and Elder, and both of which bands that, you know, I love. And, and that fan base was like excited, I think, to see the whole show. You know, they oh, yeah. wanted to see. And we opened, and I think a lot of people didn't know who we were. And we ended up making like a ton of fans that we still keep in touch with mm-hmm. yeah. today through yeah. that. And it's because of that supported, like, scene the scene itself has like a support for you know for our styles of music the rock metal world i feel like playing shows is huge and if you do get on those bills just like showing up and really doing a good job i've heard countless times people are like where are you from i'm like oh we're from here like if we're opening up for a big band in town they're like what i'm like yeah like we're from here. We have a lot of good friends that are from here. We play, you know, either we're playing or somebody's playing like every other week, like mm-hmm. hit us up on social media and keep meet these people. If you want to come out to more shows, yeah. there's mm-hmm. so much that's going on, but there are a lot of people that like aren't in bands that are just completely unaware of that local music scene, or maybe they want to one bad fire hall show when they were 18. So now they've mm-hmm. never gone to another one again. <laughs> Well, and it's tough. It's like it, you almost can't blame people too much, though, for that. No, totally. Because when if you don't have a, a friend who can introduce you to that, like I, I can't tell you the last time I just looked up like on the Internet bands in town. I don't know anything about these bands, but I guess I'll go like I haven't done that. No, especially yeah. when, you know, a lot of people had jobs and you get done. You're like, man, I'm kind of tired. Do I want to roll the dice and spend money? and see a band that I know nothing about or do I just want to like make dinner and watch Netflix and that's a bummer but like that's going to win but when you get a chance to see a band and you find out like oh shit 
you're in town and I didn't know this and you rip. Yeah. I got to see when are you playing next? Then they come out, you bring a friend. So it's like, you do need to get lucky or have someone introduce you to that. That's kind of the struggle I would say with being a local band playing those shows. Like yeah. you got to keep grinding, but how do you, how do you get to the next level? I think, I think it's just doing everything you can to look for your stepping stones, mm-hmm. you know? I think that it's really important for bands that are doing local shows to make sure that they're like creating a really cool experience for everyone that's there. Now, this isn't like some over the top thing, but it's really easy in like a local or a DIY sort of sense for like shows to start late or things to sound like shit and all this stuff. And people that aren't in the music scene, they're not going to understand that maybe this band sounds like shit because the sound tech has no idea what's going on. They're going to be like, this is weird. I don't, I don't like this, but if you can work with bands that are good and have like sound engineers that are good at what they do and venues that are cool and welcoming and create those environments, like all that extra shit and make people that aren't used to coming out. If they, if you do accidentally happen to get somebody to show up, you know, they somehow decide to take that night off and come out and see your band or see a friend's band, make sure that like it's cool enough that like they will tell people about it instead of being like, Oh, well, yeah, the band was all right, but like it was kind of weird and the place sucked. It's like thinking about where you're booking shows and who you're playing with and blah, blah, blah. So much of that uh, gets overlooked a lot, at least here. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine the rest of the world's too much different than that. I've played plenty of shows out of town that have felt the same. I mean, that's going to be common, but at the end of the day, your, your goals need to be like you're having fun and are satisfied with what you've done. And I think just like the more you can make something feel inclusive, the the better like like you said it's like if someone comes out and they think you're pretty good but then you were just like super nice to them and you like reached out and talked to them like that's sometimes all all it takes yeah but but it's also while you're playing i think you just got to use what you have the sound that's available and just try to you know have fun totally and like sound as good as you can and then just invite people to share that with you mm-hmm. yeah i think and that, you know it's tough it's like if you keep putting your expectations on on growing and like you have to like me you can chase that your whole career so it's just finding ways to just have fun with what you have and just try to be welcoming you mm-hmm. know yeah i think it's huge and just like knowing it's like utilizing your resources to the best of their ability and i think it's something that happens over time as a band playing in cities or different cities like going out of town um getting to a point where like you can kind of pick and choose where you're playing and what bands you're playing with it's like you want to take advantage of every opportunity but it gets to a point where doing that starts to shoot yourself in the foot so like you know there's places in town where people will ask us to play and we're like nah nothing against you guys but i just know for a fact that like most of the people that are friends of us do not want to go to that place. And the people that go to that place normally aren't going to be fans of us. There might be one or two people, but like, you know, it's just like maybe we're better off passing this opportunity and just waiting for the next one. That's going to be better for us and our like crowd. It just feels like it's a better fit for us instead of saying like yes to everything. It's a weird position to be in because I want to play as much as possible, Mm -hmm. but also like, there's definitely been more than enough times where it's like not worth it in some way. And I think that it just depends where you're at and the time that you have available. Yeah. Because I would argue that just in the beginning, like you should just say yes to everything. Oh yeah. Maybe that's, maybe that's like a, you know, 
maybe you will disagree, but that's, that's the way we were in the beginning. We said, man, I don't care. We need to say yes to like absolutely everything right now. And I think that was a big key component early on for us just to get the experience of like playing so many shows in so many different situations to like a big audience, to no audience, to an audience that cares, to an audience that doesn't care. Mm -hmm. And there's so much to learn. There's so much you can take away from that outside of the immediate moment. You know, there's so much that you can learn about yourself and your band and, and how to grow. You're right. Later on down the line, maybe you don't need to say yes to everything, but I think it's okay to be hungry. And I think it's totally okay to just be like, man, we got nothing else going on. You guys want to play this show? Maybe we get lucky and make one new fan that's going to just buy every record, you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah, that it, happens sometimes. It's hard. There's definitely a gamble. And it's like, I think it's great to be hungry, but also, uh, keeping being mindful of your diet i suppose yeah. the metaphorical diet uh, what what are we what are we really eating here uh is is this good for mm-hmm. us i don't know you know mm-hmm. same thing for us we played so much stuff when we first started out and then it became a situation where over time we started to realize like oh we do well in these environments and we don't do well in these other environments. And it's Mm -hmm. like when it boils down to it, it's important for all of us to have fun. It's like, do we want to drive load up all of our gear and drive it across town or an hour, two hours here and there to just be miserable? Or do we just want to get together and hang out? Yeah. If if it's going to (laughs) like suck for you to do that, then it's like, maybe don't, maybe don't do it. It gets to a point too, where it's like, you know, we start booking shows it's like, oh, let's book something. It'd be cool to see everybody. And it's like, how about we just like get everybody to go hang out somewhere? Do we need to subject all of our friends to our set again? Like yes, uh, if they want to watch us. Man, I don't know. It's, it's every tough. once in a while, man. I just want to hang out. Like, you know, I feel like, you mm-hmm. know, when you're doing nothing but playing shows all the time, you kind of miss that. Like you could connect with people, but, you know, it's really hard to actually like sit down and just have a few beers with some people if you're like loading in and loading out and watching Mm -hmm. bands and doing all this stuff it's like i want a mix of the both Mm -hmm. i feel you but there's just such a strong part of me that wants to maybe play devil's advocate in this moment no do it please please i i just feel like it was so important for us to say yes to everything even shows that were not fun but we were like we have to do this and when people in town saw that we were playing like every show and we brought like a solid set to every show. You know, we played our heart out at every single one. That's what got us to the next point of like, okay, well, when someone comes to town, do you guys want to open? Because, you know, mm-hmm. I see that you guys are playing a ton. I've been at those shows. You guys sound great. Like I want you on it. We've had some friends that are in amazing bands that were very careful about what shows they chose to play. And they played some six shows, but ultimately like kind of stopped getting the opportunity. People came to us because they knew we say yes. When there's an opportunity, if the, if the alternative is that I stay at home or just like hang out, you know, to just have fun. I mean, that's great, but there's a workaholic tendency that I think has existed for Howling Giants since day one. And that's that if there's an opportunity to play a show, to, to riff and to reach out to maybe one person, we would we would do it. And that created, I think, just like it was stressful, but it, it created this foundation for a strong work ethic that we still use today. So yeah. there's a part of me that says, like, you should say yes to everything, in my opinion, up to a point until it's getting in the way of your songwriting 
uh, until it's getting in the way of your ability to record or go on tour or play big shows. Like, I think there's an element of just do it and see what happens. And you might reach someone new that really sticks with you for the long haul. Which is how we kind of got into touring as well is, you know, we had zero experience. We'd do a couple weekends of like two shows and and then we just decided, you know, we need to just try this. That first tour. It was a shit tour. It was awful. (laughs) But as soon as we got back, we were like, all right, time to play in the next one. We Mm -hmm. learned so much from that. And people started reaching out saying, oh, damn, I didn't know you guys were mobile. Like, I didn't know you guys toured. I see you guys did this tour. Do you want to play our festival up in New England? And we're like, yeah, we do want to do that. Now let's just fill out everything in between. And it feels like a small thing, but it's something you can build on. Mm -hmm. And when someone sees you doing those tours, they they want to invite you to these festivals. When someone sees you playing a ton of shows, they know you're an incredibly active band and they're going to start reaching out to you. Yeah. That's not a one size fits all for all bands. That's just how we did it. Mm-hmm. But, and I'm not saying we made it to this, like, you know, promised land of success. We haven't, but I think through the grind, we've just seen it kind of create more opportunities for us. Yeah. So and we've, we've seen other that. bands do it, do the same exact thing and do it better than us and reach more people. But it, that just goes to show that I feel like that process I feel like Toke did that, right? Toke was touring a ton early on. And I mean, I don't know their history that well, but my understanding is that it took them a while. Then there was a certain threshold they got to where things just started exponentially Mm -hmm. becoming more um, better and better opportunities, I guess, for them. And it's through that grind even. And that's what's, man, that's what's tough is to keep kind of high spirits and to find the fun in it, even when it's a shitty situation. Yeah, that's something we learned from that first tour that maybe wasn't yeah. so great is we got there and we were like, man, this is like, how can we still have fun here? You yeah. know, when no one showed up, when the other bands on the bill are like weird as hell, mm-hmm. the sound is awful. Like, you know, how, how can we still have fun? And you start to find ways and you're like, man, you start to find things you can take away from it. And it's like, I don't know. Searching for positivity is you just got to do it, man. It's weird. It's like in order to put yourself into that position uh, to put yourself out there, go on the road, play all those shitty shows. There's this part of you that has to care about nothing but the band, right? You have to just be so in it, but in order to find value in things outside of it, like if you have a shitty show, you also have to have like, an immense interest in things outside of the band to find the positivity when things go wrong. So it's like this yin and yang of, well, this show sucked, but at least we learned like what it's like being in the van together for this long. We've learned what it's like, uh, you know, what this town is like. like, maybe we met somebody at this show that's in a band that was like, yo, like you guys are really good. And, my band plays this other club that's way better. Next time you come through, hit me up, you know, all that sort of stuff happens. Yeah. Or you find fans where you might find one fan, but they're like, Hey, do you want to crash at my place instead of paying for this hotel? Next time you come through, you have a better show. And this person's like, Hey, I got you. You need a place to stay. You want, man, you want breakfast in the morning? That's uh-huh. when you really got a big time. Uh, <laughs> someone offers you coffee and some, you know, eggs and bacon. Yeah, That's it's huge. It. I think that it's so interesting because uh, with my with my metal band, you know, we've had this like weird uh, 
push and pull with like morale in the band over the past couple years for a thousand different reasons. Um, you know, some personal, some global, <laughs> as you know, the past year, uh, it's just been like really, really hard to keep things going. And I feel like we've done a really good job still, even without playing a whole lot of shows, at, like building a good fan base and getting like a good, reliable crowd. And it's like, fuck, if we would have even played twice as many shows or three times as many, it still wouldn't have been enough, but we would have even more people that are into what we're doing. I feel like for the rock and metal shit. It's just playing those shows, playing well is the best thing that you can do for the band. And that's probably what happened with like Toka, you were mentioning before. They're just touring nonstop, playing their fucking asses off every night. And people are going to take note of that. Like mm -hmm. if you are into this kind of music, if you see a band rip live, it sticks with you. Like yeah, I can like pretty much remember every single good set that I've ever seen. You know, it's not like mm -hmm. something that I take for granted if a band slays i'm like holy shit that band ripped so if you could just be that band in a new city even if there's only fucking five or ten kids in that room those ten kids will fucking remember you yeah mm -hmm. well and then bring their friends the next time yeah. that's people like we were talking about earlier people kind of have to be told to care about something and getting that one fan they will tell their friends and man, every time we've had an awful show, but met one really cool person in the city. When we go back there, the show is always mm -hmm. awesome. You know, it's worth it. Hey, I got to step away for one second. I'll be right back. I'm sorry, guys. All good. All good. My friend, Walter, <laughs> his dog. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, if we're going to, if we're going to trim this possibly, do you mind if I take two seconds as well? I'll go for it. Fuck it. Okay. Yeah, it. yeah. I'll be quick. Yeah. You got it. You both came back at the exact same time. That was that's weird. Wild. <laughs> Listen, we're it's, it's synergy, <laughs> synchronicity. Yeah, the key to being in a band. That was so funny. Uh, to, Sorry about taking that break. It's Didn't all good. Break the flow. It was worth it to see the the synced return. <laughs> uh, the last thing in terms of this whole playing too much playing not enough playing blah 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 i'm curious to see what things are going to be like whenever shows come back and what habits people get into because uh the one thing that i think playing too many shows locally i would see it actually uh hurt a lot of bands in the sense that they weren't able to really tour because they were mm -hmm. like making so many commitments locally that it kind mm -hmm. of like handcuffed them especially there was a couple bands that would be like the band that always were opening up for uh you know whatever band like the bigger bands and like doing the ticket deals and things like that and it's like every month they got this show that they're trying to hustle 50 tickets for and it's like you're just like i i don't know i mean i mean you it's, it's a, a lot of work goal. it's a lot of work yeah it's yeah. i'll, I'll say this i think there's no right answer no so like do what fits best for you but things that I would I would say, I would maybe suggest are like find ways that will help you grow and not every show is going to help you grow, right? And if you're playing so many local shows where you don't have time to tour, even though you have the drive to tour, you need to prioritize, you know, hitting the road, right? Like take the shows, do the things that are going to help you get to the next, I guess, step. Yeah. My, the the big argument is I would say don't do nothing in lieu of doing something. 
So if you're taking so many local shows where you're handcuffed and you can't hit the road or you don't have time to write or record, then you're taking too many local shows. You yeah. Know, you got to cut it back. Um, but, you know, if, if the option is otherwise to just like, you know, not do something, I feel like you should always be pushing to do something that might help you in some way get to that next level. Yeah. Reach a new fan. And, and I've been talking a lot with our, our, us booking agent to figure out like what's the deal because last year when everything was shutting down you know we had to we were getting ready to go to europe it was it was exciting and then we had to shut mm -hmm. that down and we had a bunch of us touring planned and, and we pushed stuff back and then yeah everyone started to see how it was going to go everyone's dealing with the same thing um so eventually instead of just postpone 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 it was just like all right nothing's happening until we know we can do it and mm -hmm. i've been having these conversations with our guy recently and it's just like what is going to happen everyone's going to be so hungry when this floodgate opens up how are we going to mm -hmm. deal with it as a small band because the venues are not going to be ready to gamble they've lost a lot of money mm -hmm. um and they've been struggling and they're not going to gamble on small shows especially like that's what our guy was saying like we were lucky enough to get a guarantee here or there of some just small potatoes but he was like listen you guys are going to be playing door deals as soon as you're back out there so what we need mm -hmm. to do is be strategic about how we do these tours we're not going to go out for three or four weeks like we might have we have to ease back into it mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, it's going to be like small week long runs. We know that people will be apprehensive about going out, mm. uh, and you know we only want to head out when one we're cleared to two everybody in the band is completely comfortable and feeling safe. I want us to be safe, and I want anyone who would come out to our shows, the audience, to feel like comfortable even being there. Yeah. Um. So we'll we'll probably be easing into it it won't be nearly as heavy of a tour kind of schedule. Um, but I think that's where like the Twitch stuff we've been doing is, is really coming into play. It's like yeah. finding ways to be productive, even if we're not on the road playing a real show, you know, just go live, touch base with the audience you have, or like double down and just keep recording, you know? Yeah. I guess it's just staying as busy as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. kind of. Yeah. We've been pretty much like, not really rehearsing as much as we have been writing, but now it's getting to a point where it's like, well, do we remember how to play these old songs? Yeah, I think half you got to like keep it. It's like, but like for me, I have a hard time just like playing the set over and over again when it's mm -hmm. like, we might not be playing a show for another eight months. I'm like, this oh, is just yeah. like bumming me out in a weird way. I'd rather just like work on new stuff, but you also yeah. don't want to get fine. rusty. Yeah, man, I, I think there's plenty of time to like shake the dust off, you know, if if now is the time for writing, I see that as like, dude, that's a good use of your time. That's productive. And now's a perfect time to do it. I mean, I've forgotten. You can ask Zach and our Twitch community kind of razzes me for it, but I've forgotten so many of our own songs. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I just can't remember how I played this. Um, But that's fine. You know, is what it is. You yeah. can relearn those if you got time to write something new and if that's where your excitement is coming into play is like, that's what you want to focus on. That's perfect. You know, just do it. Totally. Just keep writing. Hell yeah. So before we wrap everything up here, cause I, we've hit an hour and uh, while I'm happy to talk with both of you as long as possible, the world has other things to do. 
they they have songs to write they have they have you know social media posts to create they have they have places to be people Play, to talk to playlists to pitch and get on <laughs> i got a single to write okay yeah 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 totally we we, we have ticks to talk that's right and whatnot so we get a tiktok we don't have a tiktok we can talk about that later our label's trying to I'm tell us to, to do it and i was like i can't handle this right now man, nah, man. <laughs> yeah I, I don't i don't know me personally i think it's a fun app I've I've seen a lot of entertaining things on there. I just don't think it's for me creatively. I feel yeah. like there's no way to be on that app and not be a content creator. Like you, yeah. I don't think you can really be an artist on TikTok. It's just a different mindset. My neighbor actually, uh, she has a she does mortuary stuff, and she has a TikTok that's like huge. Like she's had like people from that Riverdale TV show follow her and shit she's like hundreds of thousands of followers. it's gigantic like a very very big deal she was just in the, the paper and stuff about it uh Whoa. so all the power to her but it's like the amount of time that she puts into like making all of the videos and everything it's cool it's as much time as much time that we would spend like making a music video she puts into like making like you know a 15 second or minute long clip for tiktok mm-hmm. and it's like well i'm glad that you have this for you but for me, it's like that. I don't want to. In, I don't want to be a TikToker. I want to be. Yeah. A, I'm, a, yeah. I'm a guy. I'm a music guy. And uh, maybe there's a way for some people to do both, but I just don't see it realistically happening for me. At least I don't know. I yeah. just. I just. I don't. don't I, I don't know if we'll dive in on that anytime soon. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, no shade being thrown. Yeah. If that's what you're about, go for it. And if and if you have fun doing that, and if you have fun creating content, you know. I don't mean to like always cast that in a negative light, but it's just not necessarily what we do. And so that's great. If yeah. you're a TikToker, go for it. I, I don't have, know if that's our bag though. I have this like irrational fear. Maybe it's not irrational, but I hate the concept of potentially blowing up off of something that like I don't really want to do. Like what if I made a TikTok and it got really big? And now I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, this is cool. Like I'm, I have a really big fan base on TikTok, but none of them really care about my music or the things that I'm passionate about. They just like these goofy videos that I'm doing. And now all of a sudden I'm a goofy video creator. I'm no longer the dude in a band. And it's like, how do I balance that out? A different version of that that happens with bands, I feel like is covers. When you become known <laughs> yeah. as the cover guy, yeah, you know? Now I I feel like I'm worrying about that. We did a cover of Rooster for we the keep getting Dirt asked Redux. To do covers, and we keep saying yes. <laughs> and, and then like that's our top played song on all the digital services right now. I'm like, that's awesome. But did you listen to the other stuff? Yeah, <laughs> I'll yeah. say this though. Just I mean, we just do what's going to be fun for us. So yeah. even if people really like the cover, that's great. And if you found us because of that, that's great. But we're going to keep writing our own music and hopefully at some point you're going to check that out. Like we're always going to prioritize writing our own music over learning covers and being a cover, a cover band, you know, but if we got time to do it, sure. Why not? We'll do Mm -hmm. another one for you. It's, it's interesting. If you think about, um, you know, like the sixties, seventies, and even some of the eighties, how much more common it was for very popular bands to just do covers. Like it wasn't uncommon for half of an album to be cover songs mm-hmm. and uh over the course of time that's almost been completely washed away where you know it's 
a band might have a cover song on an album, but it's like, you know, the bonus track, which is cool. But uh, it's interesting how that has kind of just stopped being such a thing. Mm, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like people have taken it to a different level now with the internet and everything else, especially YouTube cover musicians. Mm. That is like, think of somebody like the dirty loops or any of that. That's their whole identity is they're the cover guys. The whole, the whole interest behind covering a song, I guess has changed when you can go see it somewhere else. Why do you want to buy it on a record or I don't know. Everyone's interests have changed. Like we said, the fandom is fleeting. So it's easier to find music these days. So maybe that's why all the old bands did it covers. Like we respect this artist. Maybe people don't know about this artist. We can show people through our record. Yeah. But I mean, it's just hard to say. Yeah. There's no right or wrong answer. Just rock and have fun. Write well, good there's songs. There's no clear path to getting to the next point. That's really the big thing. There's yeah. no like right way to do it. So yeah. don't spend too much time trying to chase something. Yeah. Like, none of this is like a clear path. It's a, so, so much of it really just hinges on other people giving a shit. Actually, all of it hinges on other people <laughs> giving a shit to be completely honest. So yeah. it's like, and you can't, what do you, how do you without, uh, the introduction of hypnosis and mind control, it's pretty much just left to uh, left to the wind of people's uh, feelings towards you. I don't know. So the best you could do is just make sure you're represent- representing yourself accurately and genuinely in a way that you want other people to see you. And if people fuck with your energy, hopefully they'll decide to invest in it. There you go. Yeah, that's it right there. <laughs> The mean the meaning of life. Rock and roll yeah. solved. <laughs> Done. <laughs> well, shit. I would say this has been a good chat, guys. Thank you so much for taking time out of your afternoon to converse with your boy today. Uh, hopefully, I'll get to see you rock out one of these days, either here or there or in between somewhere in the world. Who knows? You know, it's going to happen yeah. and, and we're on the internet now, you know, we're in the cyberspace on the you internet. Don't to, you don't have to leave the comfort of your own living room. You can tune into howling giant on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, or Saturdays and just check in and say, Hey, you know, on Twitch, twitch.tv howling giant official. And is there anything else you would like to plug any other websites or social media accounts or, uh, whatever we're just howling giant on both (laughs) facebook and instagram and twitter i don't really use twitter again you know Mm -mm. maybe we're getting old no tiktok no twitter uh yeah we're working on an instrumental album right now from some of our twitch jams from saturdays so we're gonna drop that in april and yeah, that's that's pretty much what we're up to and all the social media, all the good stuff. But Twitch is the big thing right now. We're, we're streaming D&D, cooking sometimes, and then full band streams in between it all. You know, I, I feel like there's pro- with that diverse background of like extracurricular stuff that the band's doing on Twitch, I feel like you would have a pretty easy time navigating to TikTok, honestly, if you really wanted yeah. to. If you really wanted to, I feel maybe like maybe we'll put Sebastian on it. He's a few years younger than us, so he could be the 
he could be the TikTok Sherpa that we need. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not going to hurt. <laughs> it's just the time. It's investing your time and how much, how much time you want to spend on it. But if you have someone yeah. that can do it, do it. Well, I believe nice. I'm going to do an outro and then we're going to end this ding dong conversation. So with all that being said, that is all folks. Thanks so much for being here. One more time. Tom, Zach, Howling Giant, thank you for being here. I'll be back again next week with another episode. Same time, same place, same channel. You know the drill. My name is Sykes. Start the beat 2021. Woo, woo. Thanks for listening. And we are done. That is a podcast. It happened. It will be on the internet. People will listen to it and we'll all get famous and rich. Yes. Perfect. That's yes. my that's that's my uh my guarantee. Yeah, now 100. that this thing's off and I can speak candidly, it's about making money. <laughs> I'm making cash, all right? Hell yeah, dudes. Fast well, track me to the stacks, my guy. <laughs> shit. All right, cool. Well, that's about it. Thanks again, guys. Have a good day, and uh I'll see you all somewhere at some point in time. Yeah, Heck yeah. This Thanks is not talking to us. You got it, man. Adios. Have a good afternoon. Peace. Peace. Bye.